is Sundial on WLRN. I'm Carlos Frias. Cindy and Jeremy Behrman bet on themselves. They tried working for others. They were both chefs and did the things they were told chefs had to do if they wanted to get ahead. The Behrmans each worked in big, expensive restaurants. They toiled in super stressful kitchens. They worked their way up to the top. They were good at it. They had to be. The restaurants had to live up to the French names above the door. Jean-Georges, Daniel Boulud, Joe Robuchon, the biggies. They earned Michelin stars and James Beard medals, all the big awards, but they were winning them for someone else. Cindy and Jeremy gave it all up to start something of their own, a little family restaurant in a quiet Florida town, Lantana. Oceano Kitchen has 10 tables, they only take cash, and they don't work on Sundays. Cindy and Jeremy cook only what they want. The menu changes every day. It depends on what ingredients look the best when they pick them out that morning. People found them. The Behrmans were recently nominated for a James Beard Award as co-chefs for the best chef in the South. Doing things their way turned out to be the right way. Here to talk to us about it are Cindy and Jeremy Behrman. So take me into this idea of having this big rest, working at these big established restaurants, and then just one day deciding, I want a 10 table restaurant and doing this just for us. I mean, I think that sort of kind of happened um, pretty organically. Uh, you know, we, we started off in New York. We met working uh, in the city, uh, in New York City. And, uh, you know, we were both working at, you know, different restaurants. Um, we met working for Daniel Baloud uh, at DB Bistro Modern. Right. We have in, one of those here in Miami, yeah, just, just yeah. downtown, right? At the original one that we opened in uh, 2001. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we met in 2002. 2002, yeah. I was working in pastry, and he was a sous chef at the time. Oh, yeah. that's interesting because uh, for, for folks who aren't familiar with kitchens, usually the pastry chefs are the overnight folks. So they're like the, uh, the you know, you the, these, these teams tend to miss each other sometimes, you know? Some will come in early, and then the other yeah, chefs come in we, later. We were, we were all there. It was a long day at that restaurant. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, we... It was also we, a smaller kitchen, too. Yeah, when we opened that restaurant, we were doing about 350 covers a night and 180 people for lunch every day. And those were the days when, you know, we would go in at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning and not get out until 12 or 1. Oh, my God. You know? so yeah. they were, Starting we were, all over again the next day. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were in the theater district, and so we would have services that went for almost seven and a half hours. It would be pre-theater and then mid, and then post-theater we would do... You know, people come out of the theater and we'd start service again at 10:30 at night and go until you know 11 30 12 so it was it was busy and, and these are, when you say covers for yeah, folks we're talking 350 right. people yeah, so, so 350 for dinner 150 for lunch yeah. <laughs> Free about, and post theater yeah. and yes in the kitchen that actually is not that much bigger than what we have right now which is give me square footage of an idea well i mean the kitchen we're in right now is about a thousand square feet which is crazy for us because my restaurant that I had uh, in um, in New York before I left New York called Rouge Tomat was fifteen thousand square feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so, it's like one of those uh, Coral Gables by the Sea uh, mansions. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, but you know we um, you know we've we've moved a lot. Uh, we've we cooked in New York. Uh, we moved to Las Vegas together. 
We cooked in Vegas for about three, three and a half years or about so. Three years, and then to San Francisco. San Francisco for about a year. Back to New York. <laughs> and, and Cindy, like that's the, that's the that's the the lifestyle, right? Like if you choose to be a chef, that's kind of what you hope to do, right? You move up to these, and you know. Work yeah, for I think these there's so much to learn and so much to explore, and you can really go to any city, and there's always an opportunity. Yeah, right. I mean, we always say that you know you can cook anywhere. You know, and, and a lot of becoming, you know, a good cook, and I sort of separate it from being a good chef because I think there's a big difference between being just a good cook and a, and a good chef. I think chef includes being, you know, a manager of people and, and, and much more, and, and, you know, and learning how to, you know, the financials and all the rest of that. But being a good cook becomes, comes from being experiencing lots of different food and, and being experienced in different chefs along the way Different and techniques. seeing things you know so it's about learning technique it's about seeing food food combinations flavor combinations you know and so people sometimes say like you know how do you come up with all these things well it's you know it's a multitude of things it's seeing so much and then being able to sort of understand how you take an ingredient and you know work with it to and make it into manipulate it into what you want it you know in a dish I mean being able to combine flavors and, and textures and and colors because obviously you know Ooh, presentation rise, is, right? is is important as well. Right, and and along the way you learn different chef styles. In other words, those different managers they have different yeah. ways of treating people, treating their staff. And I, we've talked about that over the years. How some of those things have changed, like from you know lots of yelling to more laid back approaches. We had uh, Neven Patel here who talked yeah. to us about working with uh, Chef Dean Max. Um, uh, and how he had a very soft approach, kind of like a hippie surfer kind of approach <laughs> to it, which is versus yeah. you we, know, we yeah, have the stuff. industry has definitely changed, and I'd say it's changed for the better. Yeah, yeah. we have yeah. a much softer approach nowadays. You know, I mean, we grew up in that. You know, yeah. we grew up in those kitchens with a lot of yelling and a lot of turnover. And you know, I think you take as much away that's great from what was done right, and as you do from what was done, you know, wrong, and you sort of. Again, like not only with food, but also with sort of managing people, you sort of, you know, figure out your style from what you've seen and what you've seen work well and what you've seen doesn't work well. You kind of start crossing off. Well, I don't want that. Right. I don't want to do that. That's that's almost easier to do than than what I do want. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And then you sort of make your own style and you decide how you want to run things. But for us, I mean, you know, part of opening Oceano Kitchen uh, was that it was our own small little restaurant and we can run it how we want to and we can work the hours that we want to, although, you know, you still end up working yeah, a tremendous amount of hours. Yeah, I think creating a positive culture is very important to us. We've had the same staff almost since when we when we opened, which is about six years ago. Tell me about that. Tell me how you guys, how you guys met, like really, like beyond meeting each other to, hey, this is a person that I like. Oh, uh, I asked him to go to the movies with me. We both had the same day off. <laughs> but it was also a very tight-knit group of friends. And right. Where were you it guys It was a stressful environment, and we all kind of leaned on each other, would hang out after work. Uh, I mean, we still keep in touch with friends from there. So what changed for you guys? What was the, the moment where you guys said, we need to do something different with our lives and our careers? Uh, we had left New York City. We actually had an opportunity to move to the Caribbean. Okay. Well, back up just a second because we we 
we're about to go open our own restaurant potentially in Connecticut. Uh, like right, because we lived in Westchester at the time. We were yeah, gonna go I think up we something. kind of decided if we ever wanted to see each other, we needed to work together. Right. Okay. <laughs> Good. That's funny because your schedules were such where you didn't see each other very much. No. Yeah. No. Well, because I mean, she was at she was working for Jean George at ABC Kitchen as the, you know, as the pastry chef there, and I was running a restaurant called Rouge Tomat, um, which we opened in 2008 and closed in 2014, um, and you know. We both had tremendously long hours at each place, and they were not close to each other. I mean, they were both in New York City, but you know, I was uptown. She was, uh, you know, right around Union Square, and so you know, we would, even though we were going into the city, we still didn't see each other that much. What what sacrifices did you figure that you would have to make if you were going to leave this corporate lifestyle where you guys were working at big restaurants to maybe do your own thing? What did what did you know that you were going to have to, or feel like you were going to have to give up? I mean, it's a huge risk uh, starting your own business and, you know, the investment of both time and money. Uh, there's always the fear of what if this doesn't work out? Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like we're pretty. Yeah, we've done it long enough and, we, and we've seen, I mean, I've opened many restaurants, you know, and, and uh, you know, we've we had never opened one that we owned where all the money was hours you know <laughs> right well, so you decided you well that table costs uh, five hundred dollars <laughs> yeah, this one yeah. costs about 150 yeah let's get yeah. 10 so of these you know so um yeah so what what so you guys were thinking to connecticut what brought you here to south florida so, so we, what was we got option? a well we got a phone we got a phone i got a phone call when i was when we were actually touring and looking at spaces in connecticut and it uh it was the one of the higher ups from auberge resorts uh out of napa valley and they were opening up a, uh, a hotel or reopening a hotel in Malihana, in Anguilla called Malihana, and a uh, pretty famous hotel in, on the island. And they said, we want you to come down to Anguilla, move down here and, and help us open this as the you know executive chef for, for the hotel. And, I think and, at and, first we were like, definitely and I was, not. I was like, at first we were like, definitely not. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, we just decided we're gonna yeah. open our restaurent. Right, we're gonna, exactly. We're gonna hit ourselves but, over the head you again. Know, the, you know, we've always done things that are. We've always been adventurous. Adventurous, and and we're like, you know what? Let's go move to the Caribbean and live in the Caribbean. We had a two-year-old son at the time, and we're like, that sounds kind of cool. Tell and me then, about tell me about that adventurous nature. Like, what kind of things were you? What what kind of things have you done, and what kind of why does that interest you? I mean, I, we we moved to Las Vegas on a whim. We went up there for for a vacation, and then, you know, I we went to a restaurant one night that was at the Ritz Carlton and a friend of a friend that said, well, we are going to go there and meet the chef there. Cause he also came from Danielle and he's like, well, I'm about to leave to go take over the Bellagio and this job's so coming open. Job. He's like, you want my job? <laughs> I can put your name in for it. And we just looked around. We we're like, wow, we could like have like, we could have a, con a condo or an apartment, a washer and dryer, yeah, washer and dryer. <laughs> Like a car, you know, <laughs> like something that wasn't 800 square feet to live in, you know. Right. Oh my gosh! And uh, and we're and you know at that point, Las Vegas was the fastest growing city in the United States, and uh, we're like, you know, all these chefs are out here, and there's a lot of culinary, you know, great culinary stuff going on here, and you know the pay was great because there are casinos and there are hotels, and uh, we're like, let's just do it. So. Where, where does that adventure spirit come from? Tell me a little bit about your growing up. Where you, did you guys have? influences from your family or friends or who was the who are the folks in your life that really 
taught you to seek out adventure? I think I was probably a little bit more adventurous than him. <laughs> uh, my grandfather or my grandmother and grandfather had a love for travel, and I think my grandmother really inspired that in me. Uh, and we still love to travel and explore. Yeah, Where'd new you, where cuisine, did you grow up? new areas. Uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. Okay, and and you you knew your grandparents were traveling. Why? Like, would they come home with pictures and that kind of thing, or? Uh, they would take each of us grandchildren on a trip with them. Oh, so that's we all, nice. <laughs> we all got a turn. <laughs> Where did you go? Uh, mine wasn't as good as my brother. My brother got to go to Europe, and we went to Maine. <laughs> <laughs> it was still great, though. But, but I mean, she always she was a storyteller, and I would just sit there and listen to her tell stories about where she'd been, and it just really sparked that adventurous nature in me. And, and w tell me about your love of cooking. Like, where did that, where was that born? Uh, well, initially, when I went to pastry school, I thought I wanted to do cakes. Uh, and then while I was in school, I went to school at the French Culinary Institute uh, in Soho. And I started interning at restaurants and caught that bug. And <laughs> oh, and, and did, before, did... before that, she was she did massage therapy. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. actually. Actually, I think learned... Uh, you learned in Boca, right? How to roll out dough, basically. Yeah, same, basically same motion. Same kneading. <laughs> <laughs> yes, originally I wanted to do, to do cakes, which I still like to do. Uh, just the energy of restaurants and the people that you work with. Just did you do that at home? Did, did like your mom or dad or grandparent, did anybody bake at, bake at home that, that you caught that? Or just where did uh, that come My from? grandmother was a big baker, but when I was like 16, I kind of took over the family meals. I guess I wasn't satisfied with what my mom was cranking out. <laughs> what made you decide that? Like, what did... I don't know. I just had an interest in it. I guess it's just in my blood. What does that mean to take over the family meal? So what were you doing? I would plan out the dinners every week. And... <laughs> nice. You would plan out the whole week? Plan out the whole week, yeah. And, and you say, and mom, dad, go night. buy this stuff? Uh, yeah, I think I probably gave them my list, and then I cooked the food. <laughs> so give me an example. You're 16. What kind of things are you making? Uh, I don't. I think I was using maybe a Betty Crocker cookbook and <laughs> picking out recipes. Oh, but you were, you were going was, to a cookbook. You were like yeah, really yeah, building. Yeah, I did uh, some Indian food for a little bit. And... You were taking the family around the world, so to speak, with uh, <laughs> with your with your cooking. Yeah. What about you, Jeremy? What 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 got what sparked your interest in in cooking? Uh, so I to tell a story. I, I was I was about fourteen. I asked my father for some money to go to the movies, and he told me to go get a job. <laughs> and uh, wow! And uh, you know, they they were they were going to instill in me that money didn't you know just come from you know from their from pocket. them their pockets, yeah. And and uh, so I my mother took me over. I couldn't even drive at that point, and took me over to a local deli, and I went there and asked the guy for a job. And six seven years later, I was still doing it in between school and. You know, so I started washing dishes and, sta you know, stocking refrigerators and that kind of thing. And then, what, you know, what did your parents do? Like, uh, my mother's a music teacher. Okay. Uh, she was a music teacher in uh, the school district for twenty something years. Of where? Uh, in um, Rockland County, New York, uh, right outside the city. And then my father was a chemical engineer. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I how I ended up where I did is, you know, it has not, maybe not nothing to do with, you know, what my parents do, but I mean, obviously they, I think my mother was, my mother and father were both very good at what they did. And so, 
you know, that was inspiring. Um, but uh, yeah, so I started working in the deli and, and uh, I loved it. I mean, I just liked the camaraderie of with people and with food. And, uh, and then I decided to, um, when I was in school, you know, I started, I didn't get very good grades when I was young. Uh, but then in, in high school, something clicked and I started getting good grades and I got the opportunity to go to Cornell for uh, the hotel administration program there, which is one of the best in, in the country. And, um, and, uh, and then, you know, I, I did that. I got out of school and I just decided I really wanted to cook. Wow. So, so you, you went to a, the Ivy League school and decided yeah. that you were yeah, going to use that. And I left to go get an hour, you know, an hourly, you know, minimum wage job. And you uh, cooked at your frat house too. Yeah, I did. I, we had a, we had a fraternity house with probably 50 guys. Uh, what was your, what was your fraternity? It's called Kai-Fi. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so I would took over the meal programs there and, you know, would do all the, you know, we had a cook there, but I would help to do all the stuff and for, you know, sometimes, you know, 50, 60 guys a night, you know, so it was, that was, I mean, for me, it was just a lot of fun. And I realized I really loved cooking and being in that environment. And then I, I did an externship at a small little, uh, restaurant in, um, right outside in my hometown. And the minute I, I got in there and I saw it, I was just sort of hooked. Well, a, a 50, 50 person, 50 seat <laughs> restaurant is about what you guys are yeah, doing exactly. now. <laughs> uh, we, we are speaking with uh, Jeremy and Cindy Bierman. They are nominated as co-chefs for a James Beard Award in the South. We're gonna take a little break and then we'll be back with them about how they turn that love of cooking into a quiet little restaurant making a lot of noise. We'll be right back. <laughs> We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Cindy and Jeremy Behrman. Uh, they're the owners of Oceano Kitchen in Lantana, and they're nominated for a James Beard Award together as co-chefs. So you guys were talking about your adventure spirit that leads to these, why you've moved around the country at, at these different high-end restaurants. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that translates into the restaurant that you've now done? Because I think one of the most interesting things is that you guys write a menu every day. You just post it, and usually like nine out of the ten things on it were not on the day before. Can you just talk a little bit about that kind of uh, being up there on a on a net? It's like staring at a blank page. You guys obviously are not afraid of, of taking a chance with doing things different every day. Yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, your space can sort of dictate uh, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And obviously the space that, you know, we stumbled upon this uh space oceano kitchen and uh you know it's basically it was a sort of pizzeria before uh we took it over uh but there's no hood fans uh there's only a, we only have which I is think, like a key element in restaurants key element yeah <laughs> most of the time you can't right. cook in a place if you can't get the smoke and right. everything out so of we it, have so. one wood fired wood burning oven in uh in a in basically a, a 500 square foot space that cranks and we, out a lot of yeah, food <laughs> crank, and cranks out it's a lot coming out of a small space so Amazing. you know for us there are many things that we do at the restaurant that are dictated by the space uh you know the the menu has to be very small so we can only do maybe seven or eight different dishes you know it strikes me you guys really wanted a lifestyle change so how has this changed your life you mentioned picking up your son at school every day i'm sure that that would have proven difficult yeah i think one of the great things about having our own business is i have that flexibility uh, where I can 
create my own schedule and uh, I'm still working a lot, but I don't have to be there for 12 hours a day. I can go in in the morning and then be home with my son at night, uh, which I traditionally wouldn't get working for someone else. How, how old is your son now? Uh, he's 10. He's 10. So uh, now for about half his life, he's known his parents working in, in, their, own, in their own restaurant. How does he... Is oh, he involved yeah. we, at all? Does he? Have, yeah, he comes have, into the restaurant, and helps out a little bit sometimes. Yeah, we have we have an old, we have a picture in our house of him standing at the wood counter in front of the window, you know, helping to make pasta. At, like I think when we opened it, he was how old? He was like uh, four years old, three years old. About four, yeah. Four years old, yeah. You know, so now it's like he goes into the restaurant. He's ten, and you know, he likes to help me make cookies and eat the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's seeing that influence? Because I think of like this. Kids sometimes they they tend to follow in their parents' footsteps and what have you. Do you think he, do you uh, see him having that kind of interest? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in says all honest that. in all honesty, it's a tough life. Yeah, yeah. There's, you make a lot of sacrifices for what we do. You make sacrifices with your friends. You make sacrifices. You know, you're working when everybody else is on holiday. You're working when everybody else is, um, you know, at, at a at a function. I mean. Saturday nights are your busy nights. Friday nights are your busy nights. So there's a lot of sacrifice to it, you know. And and um, you know, so it's even though you you know, listen, you know, people ask me and said, oh, you know, was it easier when you left New York and went to San Francisco? And you know, because of you know, New York's this really hard place to work in. And and I said, you know, it really doesn't have to do with where you're at. It has to do with you as a person. And I think we just. I know for myself, I strive for, you know, for excellence and maybe sometimes at my own fault or, um, you know, it's, it's hard to have balance in life. You know, I think that's the thing that we struggle with all the time is how do you find balance between work and home and, and the rest. And it's more, I, I would say it's, and I don't know other industries, but I would say it's pretty difficult in our business. Do that. I would you know, say for both of us, the details really matter and the quality right. of your product. So it's kind of hard to give up control sometimes. <laughs> that, you know, it's it's to me, it's interesting that there is a level of chefs and and, and cooks um, judging themselves on did my restaurant get a Michelin star? Was it nominated for an award? Like you're you you va- you begin to value those things. And I'm wondering, was there an element of Will people find us? Like, will we open this little place and people will forget about us? And and did that matter? You know, I, going back to like what you're talking about with the awards, and you know, I we we've been doing this now for twenty something years, so yeah. we've, you know, I think for myself at least, I'm sort of past it. And this is, you know, while this is extremely nice and humbling to 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 get this award, you know, we, um, you know, when I was in New York, we opened this restaurant, Rouge Tomat, and in the first year, we pushed really hard. I mean, this is a high-profile opening. It was, you know, I had um, five or six other chefs in the kitchen underneath me. We had almost 30-something people in the kitchen, uh, and we pushed really hard, and we only received uh, one star from New York Times out of three, which was almost crushing. At that point. And, you know, and, and so that was the point which you get back, you know, you, you, after you fall on a little bit, you know, you get back and you have to go back to your team and you have to keep on pushing. Uh, and, you know, for us, uh, about five months, six months later, 
we got a call and found out that we were receiving a Michelin star, which was again like the complete, you know, other spectrum of like, like wow. That's I mean, you know, I think there were at that time maybe thirty or something, forty other restaurants. I think that was when the Michelin Guide first came out for New York. Yeah, first when it first came out for New York. Yeah, so and those things are easy to judge. I mean, you see the thing and you can just drive. That can be the thing that drives you. You decide so. How do you guys measure success now? Like, what does that mean to you? Like, when you wake up in the morning and you feel like, I'm doing this thing well, what is, how do you measure success? I think for me, partly it goes back to talking about how our, you know, the employees that we have that work for us that mm-hmm. like, love being there uh, and that have been there for a while. To me, that's a level of success. And I think our, uh, our patrons see that, our guests see that as well. Uh, and that's a lot of what brings them back. And, you know, obviously I feel like the food that we do, I'm proud of it every night that it goes out. I'm proud of the people that work, that are, uh, that work with us, that are achieving more and more every, every day, every, every month, every year, uh, to, so to see them grow, that's success for me. And, you know. I think for me, the, one of the best parts about Oceano Kitchen is it really feels like a community. It's the local neighborhood restaurant uh, and after being stuck in basements in new york city uh producing pastries never really seeing your guests or interacting your guests i don't know it's just refreshing to go into a restaurant where we have an open kitchen you see your guests every night we have a chef's counter you're interacting with your guests uh and we just they're familiar faces and they've almost become like family yeah, there's there's an interaction that you probably weren't used to in, in your in your previous life, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it it, it took a lot at nice the change. beginning too because you're cooking. You know, we literally have six seats that are right in front of us when we're cooking, and you know they're so close that there's an automatic sort of conversation that starts you know, when somebody sits down. So not only do people do we have to cook and concentrate on what we're doing to be able to get that many dinners out a night. But there's also this dialogue that happens back and forth. Um, and but, does that help or hurt as the You know, end it, in, in all honesty, um, most of the time it helps because it creates this energy in the, in the kitchen, which is amazing. And, um, and it becomes very jovial and very um, just like just a great place to be and everybody's it's a sort unique of laughing. Experience. And, I don't think there's too yeah. many restaurants you can go out to eat and actually interact with a chef. And... Yeah, you know, once in a while, it's it's tough if you have somebody that's, you know, asking a million questions and, you know, but you you learn how to you learn how to deal with that. And, I'm thinking and, of that one yeah. character from uh, from the movie <laughs> The Menu. We always get the one question: How hot is that oven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 800 degrees. I stick my hand in and say, "I'm not sure yet." <laughs> Tell me about your regulars. So, like, you become part of this community, right? So, tell me about Lantana and who are the folks that come in on a regular basis? So, well, we have, uh, I mean, we have people that come from everywhere. But, yeah, we have a lot of people that are right, uh, that are local to us within, you know, sort of towns of uh, Manalapan and Ocean Ridge and Palm Beach, uh, Palm Beach and Palm Lake Beach. Worth. So, it's, you know, it's everybody. But we have, we have one of our, uh, the couples that are, most regular um, uh, own a uh, an ice cream uh, company, uh, so there's a small ice cream shop down the street um, that uh, that they have. But that's sort of the the retail, the only retail portion of their of their business. The rest of it is uh, uh, it's called the Ice Cream Club, and uh, they actually deliver ice cream 
all around the country of I think almost maybe even farther than farther than that now but uh, uh, but they're you know they're there every uh, once every, once a week if not you know if not more and uh, so I mean you have you have just so many different people that come in that you know there are regulars that we see at least sometimes once a week once a month you know I would say on, on a given night 80 to 90 percent of the people that are there are, are regulars yeah, we've definitely gotten a lot of new people since the nomination, so that's been great, and hopefully they'll become regulars as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about what you learned from your previous lives working for other people uh, that have that you've tried to do the same, some things you've tried to do the same and the other things you've tried to do differently. Um, I, I'm specifically thinking, Cindy, that you were, a, you were a food stylist, I want to say, for Martha Stewart Living Magazine at some point? Uh, yeah, I had been in restaurants for a long time. Uh, and I was actually the pastry chef at ABC Kitchen at the time. Uh, and I had a friend that was working for Martha Stewart uh, as a food editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, I'm leaving. Would you be interested? <laughs> and that, that would have been, a, that was a total shift, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, completely. I mean, going from something I knew for a very long time to going in and doing something completely different, almost starting over. Uh, so it's definitely a little bit intimidating at first. <laughs> what What did you learn from that job? Uh, I mean, just so many little things. There's so much that goes into a photo shoot. I thought, oh, the first time I do this, it's going to take an hour. And it's like, no, this takes eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what about that ultimately made you decide that, no, that you still wanted to be making food for people to eat rather than just see with their eyes in a magazine? Uh, like I said, I just love the energy of being in a restaurant and uh, being able to cook pastries for people and just really having that sense of hospitality. Right. I feel that's just really what keeps me going. It's the spark. You know, you know, in a lot of restaurants, and this is sort of like a other restaurants, restaurant tours will tell you this. You know, pastry only will comprise maybe you know twenty, thirty percent. You know, people will will get dessert at the end of the meal, but at Oceano Kitchen, people come specifically for that. Sometimes but they come so, just for the yeah. dessert. Oh yeah, you know, right. we've had this running. I have this running joke where it's like, you know, I ask I ask you how your meal was, you know, before you get paid, before you get your dessert, because I know that afterwards you're just going to tell me that the dessert was the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you learn about in that in that job, that food styling job, that you think that translates now? The most important thing I learned is social media now is so important. Uh, so your food's constantly being photographed now, even if you're not working for a magazine. Uh, so it's really just that element of how is this going to look on film. Oh, because knowing that people that come to your restaurant and order your dessert are probably going to post a picture of it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, every day posting on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so I definitely learned a lot of things that have translated. And so, how did the that, restaurant world? How did that change your your workflow as you're creating a, a dessert? Is there a part of you that's thinking? Oh uh, yeah, there's definitely a part of me thinking like, how is this gonna look on Instagram? <laughs> you kind of slide it, you slide <laughs> it, and you look around at it from different angles. You hit the angles on the. <laughs> well, so Cindy Cindy puts together you know all the components of dessert uh, during the day, and then you know because uh, you know. She goes home and spends time with our son. Uh, 
we end up, you know, we, we plate the desserts at night. So she writes us out a very specific, um, you know, instructions on how things are going to get plated and put together, you know, and so, um, you know, it's sort of how the dynamic, you know, works. There, does she, does she know. check your work? Does she send well, me a picture? She, of she can check work all the time because people post <laughs> pictures. <laughs> yes, the camera eats first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Phone eats first. We're talking with Cindy and Jeremy Behrman. Uh, they are the owners of Oceano Kitchen, and there they are nominated as co-chefs for a James Beard Award. We're going to take a little break, and we'll come right back. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Cindy and Jeremy Behrman. They're the owners of Oceano Kitchen. So you guys have this dynamic where everything is, the menu is different every day. Is there something that you guys always come back to? Is there a thing that you guys have decided that this will be part of the menu because it's part of who we are or part of what our folks like? Well, they're on the menu since the beginning. There are only two things that have remained on the menu every day. And one of them is what we call the straight shooter pizza. Okay. So and it's basically what it is. It's like a margarita pizza. No, it's. The straight shooter, you know. We used to name the pizzas every night, yeah. but that started to take too much time. <laughs> we, yeah, when we first started, first year, we started naming them. We had a bunch of them, like one of them was called Son of a Bee, uh, you know, because <laughs> it was like, it was like hot, hot, hot honey. Oh, you I know? got you. Uh, and then, you know, we had other ones that called Date Night. And some of them we still put on the menu, but um, we stopped naming them after a bit because it was harder, harder. We spent more time trying to figure out the names then we did trying to figure out what we were actually going to do. Going to put in yeah, them, right? Yeah. And so when you're changing the menu every night, you're like, oh, God, now we're sitting here for another 20 minutes trying to figure out what the name of this is. And um, sometimes it was fun, but other times it was just like, okay, you got to get to the end of this, you know? Right. Um, and you but, guys took over a restaurant that existed, right? And kind of really yeah, so it, just tweet. I mean, it had been a pizza place. It was called Oceano. Right. So it was called Pizzeria Oceano. We knew we didn't want to just do pizza, but it had a great following. Uh, and, um, you know, it, there were lots of things that sort of we've done to the physical structure of the place. And, um, it was you know, also cash only and right. no reservation. Right. When we took it over. What, right. what does that do to an atmosphere of a restaurant when it's those little things we make our, the menus every day, it's cash only, it's open three and a half hours a day, five days a week. Like what? Yeah. We have our quirks, but yeah. it works for us. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, think... how does that change the, the spirit of a place? When you have a small restaurant, I think there's, like he was saying, with the space dictating your menu, I think it also has to dictate your policies. And with only having 10 tables, yeah, it's we, too hard to, we, to manage It would never work to take reservations there because, I mean, we do take, you know, a couple of reservations a night for parties of six or more just because, you know, six people coming together are probably not going to wait that long. Um and it's obviously going to take longer if you're, you know, party of six coming coming there to dine to get a table, only because we're we're pretty small. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it just works much better for us to do walk-in only. And you know, when you get there, you, you know, and, and it's great for people that can come and just they know that you know if they just walk in, they don't have to have the reservation for that night. They can just come and yeah, it might be a you know 15 minute wait. Sometimes it might be no wait. Sometimes it might be 20 or 30 minutes. Um, but Sometimes can, it might be an hour. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, it all depends. I mean, changing the menu every day sometimes is difficult. 
but it's also very rewarding. And sometimes it's actually better because we can say, okay, well, we have this left, that left, this left, this left, you know, what can we do to put together a menu for tomorrow with some of these things that we need to utilize? Uh, and a lot of times that's where the creativity is sparked, right? right. Because it's a chop you, basket, basically. You, right, exactly. Open it's, it up and what do we have today? It's kind and of sometimes like Sometimes at the end of the night, you don't have any food left over anyway. So right. and, then it, and then it's a whole new menu the next day. <laughs> but other times it's, you know, you bring things in, you bring product in. And, you know, I have a guy that I've been buying from for 10, 12 years up in Nantucket. You know, we buy Nantucket-based scallops from him, right? So, so just say, okay, send me the scallops. I mean, do we really know what we're going to do with them that day? No, we don't know. But you know, then we have them in house, and we have you know this product, uh, you know this uh, um, these tomatoes that we got from the farm, or we have this you know happy rich broccoli that we got from the farm, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, well, we have all these things, and what are we going to do to put together a menu? And that to me is where it gets interesting. You that's know, the because, excitement. That's why you got right. into the there business, are, right? There are things that we come up with sometimes, and my, my chef de cuisine and I look at each other and say, we come up with these things, and we say, we would never have come up with this if we weren't sort of forced to utilize these different... Right, if we weren't pushed to. We could never sit down and, and just say, right on paper, this is what we're going to do if we hadn't had those external forces sort of pushing us to to utilize different things. And part of it is you know creativity, and then part of it is business. Right. You know, I mean, you, that's, you know, that's the idea of, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're still running a business, but, you know, you want to do things that are creative and to push the push you a little bit. But, you know, the food, I, I think the food that we do is is very straight for me. It's very straightforward uh, and it's just about, you know, great product, you know, great flavors and textures. And we don't try to overcomplicate things. I mean, both of us have worked in restaurants where there are dishes that would take you five minutes to plate a dish. We don't have that liberty of doing that at this restaurant we're moving we're, right. we're going yeah we don't have yeah. the time for tweezers yeah. i don't have time for tw- <laughs> you know tweezers on things and right. and all that and honestly i i don't miss that you know it's it's um you know it's a very different world uh and and i loved when we did that i mean you know rouchemont was that and it was you know tasting menus and amy's bush that had you know 10 15 components to it and um and that's great but i think for me, what we do now and the simplicity of what we do now is is much better. And, and honestly, we create things that we, the type of restaurant that we would love to go to. You yes, know? the things we so, would like to eat. Right. Tell me about risk, because there must have been a moment where you guys, you make this jump, you open this restaurant. Was there a moment where you thought, oh my God, what did we do? Like, I, I always hear stories about folks who like their first day, no one shows up or they, <laughs> one person shows up. Can you t- tell me about the early days and some of those points where you're you... I think we probably felt that way for the first year yeah we're, the first well, year yeah we, we looked you know we looked when we, before we took this space and decided what we were going to do we looked around and we said okay well you know and Lantana is not Miami and it's not, it's not Lauderdale it's no and it's little, not and it's not West Palm and it's not you know it's, it's not, little yeah. in between town Atlantic right. Avondale, right? Yeah. Yeah. right so we, we looked at it and said you know are people going to really be interested in what we're doing here, yeah. You know, and um, and I, and it was a real concern at the beginning of, of whether this was what we were going to to do was going to work, you know. And then obviously, you know, the space that we took was probably much lower risk than you know this big restaurant that that you build out. Uh, but still, it's a huge risk because that's where you know all of our income was going to come from, you know. Uh, so you know, if it didn't work out, we were 
you know, we got to figure something else out really quickly. Right. And, now. And, and you guys have you guys have a son at home at the time. He must have been uh, about what? He, uh, three, four. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. So, I think in the back of our heads, we said we're going to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, we can always go get a job somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> when did you realize, OK, we did the right thing. This is this is not only, you know, paying the bills. It's It was the right move for us. I think, you know. Well, we got a great review yeah, from Mike great... Mayo at the yeah. Sun Sentinel, four-star review. Yeah. I think after that, we felt like we could breathe a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> and you felt like people found you. Yes. Right. That. Mm-hmm. So that made a big difference then, having someone kind of say, hey, check out this place in the yeah. place you yeah, wouldn't expect. Yeah, a, a four-star yeah, I think review, it, I think it was one out of four-star out of the, or one out of two four-star reviews that year that we that he did, and, and it was, you know, it just, you know, it, we didn't even have half the staff that we had at that time. You know, we weren't even, it was, it was a different restaurant than it is now, but you know, in, in terms of, you know, the volume that we're doing, but um, yeah, it was definitely rewarding. You know, how did, how did your lives change? Like in the days or weeks after that? I don't know if it, I don't think it was immediate. I mean, we definitely had a lot of new customers, mm-hmm. but I think it just built upon itself where somebody comes in, loves the restaurant, they bring a friend back. They tell another friend. Uh, so I think yeah. maybe we started out doing how many covers a night? I mean, when we first started, we were doing maybe 50 covers a night. And, and we used we to thought, think that was busy. We and thought now, that was busy. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're doing upwards of 100. <laughs> Amazing. Tell me a little bit about some of these dishes, right? So let's, let's we're right around lunchtime, so let's get folks hungry. <laughs> Tell me about some of the, um, both on the savory side and the, and, and the, the pastry side. Um, Tell me some of the things that that uh, people have loved that you've created over the years. Uh, well, one of the things that's always on the menu, in addition to the straight shooter pizza, are salted caramel chocolate chip cookies. Oh God, <laughs> tell me, give it to so me. So those have always been on the menu, and uh, sometimes I definitely can't make enough of them. If you get there <laughs> later at night, they might be sold out. <laughs> Isn't it amazing with all the pastries and how complex, you know, some of these very you know stylized dishes can be. How folks can just appreciate something that they look at and can immediately recognize is yeah yeah I think like Jeremy was saying our our style is kind of elevated comfort food and mm-hmm. things that we would want to go out to a restaurant and, and eat and enjoy. Tell me about um, some of these other dishes that have become you know, for for a restaurant that likes to change things, but that have become standard stuff that you say uh, we're always going to have this on the menu. Well, there's really nothing that we keep on the menu uh, consistently, but. We have sort of a format to it that we do, and um, one of the things that we probably haven't talked about is that we have a uh, about six foot Lang uh, Texas style smoker out back. Oh, you can do a lot uh, of things with that yeah, smoker, so, right? You know, so we do everything from you know ribs to pork collars to smoked duck duck uh, duck legs, and um, so we do a decent amount of smoking there on a on a weekly basis, and. Um, incorporate that so you I mean the idea of oceano kitchen is that you know we have this wood-fired oven inside and we have this wood-fired smoker outside and so really you know it's locally inspired wood-fired is really sort of the idea oh, of, of what oceano uh, started as and and you know has evolved as as well so there's a lot of uh, you know smoked items that are incorporated you know sometimes we'll you I mean during a year i think once or twice a year we do a full-on barbecue you know, and it's usually sold out really quickly. And, you know, it'll be very classic, you know, like 
just great ribs and burnt ends and you know pie uh, brisket. For we, we make you know we make our own sausages and you know and smoke already in pie for dessert and you know um, little spoon breads and you know and so that's that's a great night and people love that kind of thing you know so give me one dish that you've made over the years that you really love that you're really proud of oh god that's, 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 that's not, not the dish but just one dish that you've made that you're really proud of just one dish oh i don't know <laughs> i can i can sometimes only think back to what we've done you recently know, right recently yeah well he does have a nickname as the soup whisperer yeah. makes some pretty good soup <laughs> is that right what's soup, like give me give me an example what soup uh, oh, he makes this corn soup that's amazing yeah he we kind do. of changes the the garnishes with it yeah we do like a curried like a, cor- a curried corn soup like more of like a Thai style curry corn soup. We have lemongrass growing in our garden, and you know, and then ginger, and um, like make like a red curry with like sweet corn, and do crab inside of it. And um, but yeah, we I mean we just change things up so often that and there are things that we come back to, um, you know, because obviously you know you can't figure new things out every single day. Or there are things that you've done that people like so much that yeah, you know, there's yeah, things that bring people love back. and they want to see on the menu again right. well so or they'll come just for that dish yeah so the lesson is if there's a soup on the menu make sure to order it <laughs> yeah we do a lot of cold we do a lot of cold soups too and you know but it's funny because my father my father won't eat the cold soups because he's like soup should be hot you know oh that's and, so funny uh, but you know for for most for most other people they love when we do it we do this white gazpacho on the menu which is very you know traditional northern spain like you know bread and garlic and grapes and cucumber and sherry vinegar and olive oil and uh it's one that we put on the menu pretty often and people really enjoy it it's sort of interesting tell me one dessert she talked to me about your soup tell me one dessert that she makes that just like just blows people away and blew up blows you away um well she has this one cake that you know we all love uh it's like this chocolate cake with this passion fruit ganache and then on the outside of it is this uh, meringue it's like a you know almost like marshmallow but this meringue and it's like you know she pipes it and and uses i, I don't know you have to explain it a little bit more but it, and then she bur- she torches the whole thing and yeah, so it's so like toasted this burnt, meringue on the outside. toasted meringue on the outside um and it's just people go crazy over it and well, I try. I try not to keep that anywhere close to home because otherwise I'd be three hundred pounds. Yeah, I would say lately <laughs> it's been the blueberry pies. <laughs> yeah. We make a blueberry pie with a a duck fat crust. A duck fat crust. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just a a twist on a on a pie, and I feel like whatever dessert I do, it just has to be like the best version of a pie. It can be a pie, but it has to be the best version of a pie. <laughs> Thank you both so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. And that's Sundial for Thursday, February 23rd. Leslie Ovalle-Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Engineering our board operations today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, we'll be joined by Joanne Hippolyte. She's a curator at the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and she calls Miami home. We'll ask her how her Miami roots influenced her work at the museum. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.